Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, February 9th, 2014. I am totally sick. <laughs> I have got a fever and runny nose and cough, and I don't feel well at all, but... <laughs> The only thing <coughs> that has made me feel better all week is just being with my YNR, lying in bed, and just watching YNR and letting it all soak in. It was such an important week, and I knew that I needed to talk to you guys about it, but I'm not quite feeling up to the full video chat, so this is just an audio-only chat. I'm sorry about that, but gosh, it's, I'm, it's, I hate that, like, my sickness had to coincide with one of the most exciting weeks. I mean, the fallout of everything that happened last week with uh, Billy and Adam has been incredible. The week started out with the explosion of the car at the crash site, and I had to laugh a little bit because Anna had called into my voicemail and mentioned that like the whole week was premised or the first part of the week was premised on the fact that there was this car crash and some random guy walking through the middle of the woods in Wisconsin in the winter saw this car crash and saw one man walk away that was the big premise I had to laugh like who's walking around in the woods <laughs> Anna had mentioned that and I'm like oh my gosh that's so true um, so one man walks away, one man is in the car, Nick and Paul are at the scene, and Nick is gazing into those flames. He knows, he's, he knows in his heart he saw somebody still down in that car, and he wants to help, and either way you slice it, one member of his family is in there engulfed in flames, whether it's Billy or Adam. And that was the big question of the week. Is it Billy or Adam? We don't know. Paul is off in the background saying there is absolutely no hope. No one could ever have survived that. I mean, you know, knowing what was going on with the casting I knew, of course, that Billy was going to be the one to escape. But in my heart, I thought, you know, what's going to happen is, even early in the week, I thought Adam is going to be presumed dead. And that's going to give him the perfect way to escape to Paris exactly as planned. I mean, that I, I would imagine they're going to bring Adam back in a couple of months, even if it's a year. And they're either going to say that he had amnesia or something. I don't know. But I almost like it better that he, if he just decided to escape to Paris as originally planned. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. Um, the, the car wreckage, apparently they fell down onto a, the frozen lake. I didn't realize that. I thought it was um, just on the regular ground, but apparently the car crashed onto a frozen lake, and then as the explosion happened, the car sunk down to the bottom of the lake. <laughs> and I mean, could it be any worse? I mean, are they sitting around in the writer's room just thinking, like, how many other ways can we make it appear as if Adam is dead? <laughs> I mean, crashed and then burned and then dunked down in the bottom of the lake. 
<laughs> who came up with that? I mean, as a viewer and an Adam fan, I know Adam Newman could be shot, he could be exploded, and then sunk down to the bottom of a freezing lake, and he will never be dead. <laughs> never. <laughs> but that is the presumption in Genoa City this week. Victor takes a walk to the crash site and knows in his soul that his son is dead. He just has a feeling. And we got this wonderful flashback toward the beginning of the week of Victor at the farm with a young Adam. I even remember that little actor. Those That was very close, you know, within the first year or two of when I started watching the show. And I love those flashbacks. And Victor is not known to Adam as being his father. Hope has asked Victor to keep his distance. Uh, but um, Victor still wants to, you know, be friends with the little guy. So Victor is showing a young Adam these moves that he has with a soccer ball. Like, it was so cute. I mean, say what you will. I don't know. I think Eric Braden is a very interesting man. I mean, he the way he was flipping around that soccer ball, he's like multi-talented. I don't know why. The, <laughs> I'm basically a child in that way, maybe, because I'm looking at him batting around that soccer ball, and I'm totally impressed. <laughs> He just, he is such an, and Victor is such an interesting character. It just took me back to my early days when I was a fresh YNR viewer, young, young teen. Just, you know, I would encourage you guys, go back and watch that scene with Victor at the farm. And maybe that would help you understand why I cut Victor the slack that I do. Why I remember him as the good guy. I mean, that was a good that was a good scene. And also boxing with little Adam and vowing to always take care of him and his mother. I, I cried. I did. On top of the fact of the, even the notion that now a character that, you know, was beloved to me, Adam, would be dead. And, you know, then taking me all the way back to the beginning. That was just my sweet spot. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed that. Um, but uh, now Victor is realizing that his son is dead and realizing that he could have done something to prevent all of this. Last week, Nikki had found out that Victor was the one, or that Victor knew in advance that uh, Adam was the killer and that he didn't come forth to the police. So Nikki and Victor have a sit-down moment this week uh, where even though she's extremely upset with him, she does decide to <coughs> empathize with him in this moment of losing his son. I mean, she's lost a son and recently regained him, so she's trying to empathize with him, and she knows and is the one to bring up that if Victor had told the truth, Adam might still be alive, and that has to be weighing on Victor's mind in these moments, um, thinking that his son is dead. He, um, well, Nikki decides she's not going to tell Nick or Victoria that Victor knew. That's going to really rock. I think it's going to make Nick understandably upset, but that is going to rock Victoria's world. Um, 
on top of everything else that she's lost with her family, that would be devastating to her to know that her father kept that from her and her husband, grieving their uh, daughter. And now Jack is another story. <laughs> Jack uh, is probably going to be dropping that bomb all around town, any place he can within the coming weeks. So uh, I I did enjoy and appreciate that there was that little bit of tenderness between Nick, uh, Nikki and Victor. Of course, she doesn't miss a chance to jab at him for not being honest about Adam. But boy, during that, you know, seeing her climb up on climb up on top of her high horse made me think, well, Nikki, way to be all high and mighty about Victor not telling you the truth. Have you told him about Ian? Early in the week, Chelsea has not heard about the car crash or anything about the explosion. All she knows is that Adam has confessed to having run over and murdered Delia, and she is stuck in her own world of grief. She is blaming herself for not seeing what was going on. All of the little signs that were there for the last several weeks are now flashing in front of her eyes, and she's real realizing what was actually going on with Adam. And she does blame herself, especially because she's so close to Chloe and so close to that situation. And I thought it was very interesting. Chelsea is in this moment having a very hard time finding forgiveness for Adam. She's struggling to reconcile the man that she thought she knew and the life that she thought they had with the now reality. And Anita stops by, and boy, it sure was very interesting. Anita was actually there trying to present Adam's side of the situation. Anita has been, I think, Adam's number one fan since the beginning, and of course we all assumed it was because of his deep, deep pockets, but she... I just did seem to understand him. Um, she, you know, she tells Chelsea, Adam wasn't trying to be callous with what he did. He wasn't trying to be cruel. He was scared. He didn't want to lose you or lose Connor. And I just, I, it's funny, I got a voicemail from Gary this week, and he said, you know, of all of the people in town, it's funny that it would be Anita to truly under, that who would truly understand Adam's position. It was an interesting little dynamic. Now, Jack brings the news to Chelsea alone, and he lays out the situation as... As he knows it, that there was a car wreck, that they found Adam's SUV, um, and I don't even think he, I don't know if he told her about the explosion or what, but the way Jack lays it out to Chelsea, she maybe has a sliver of hope. It, it, the air in the room is not Adam's dead. Uh, Jack doesn't come to the apartment telling her Adam's dead. Uh, he's, you know, kind of tell, giving her uh, little baby steps toward what happened. And then Victor stops by. With, like with his ray of sunshine to tell her her husband's dead. He says that in no uncertain terms. Look, I was at the crash site. I saw it. There's no way Adam would have survived. He's dead. And Jack gets a phone call 
from Victoria, who shares the news that Billy has actually come home. And we'll talk about that later because, oh, it was so good. But Jack and Victor and Chelsea are in the apartment alone together. And Jack gets this phone call in the midst of not knowing, is it Adam that's dead? Is it my brother that's dead? Uh, you know, neither situation is is going to be happy news. But Jack gets the phone call that Billy is still alive, and he's relieved that his brother is still with us, but now realizes that he has to pass along this horrible news about Adam, who he thought of as a son. And he has to tell Chelsea and, you know, confirm this news for her. And he's there comforting her. I mean, on top of everything else that Chelsea has gone through with the situation, now he's dead. And uh, it was so moving. I, 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 it just... I could feel that it took a lot for Jack to be there with her, um, and I thought that said something about his character, that he would be there comforting her instead of being there with his family. You know, Jack has this sense of loyalty to Adam's family. It's a it's a promise that he made, and so he was there with Chelsea, and Jack even brought himself to tell Victor this news, and, and in fact, he said, you know, I'm sorry for your loss, and I, you know, I'm sure that didn't go very far with Victor, but now Jack leaves, and Chelsea and Victor are alone in the apartment together with this realization that Adam is dead, and Victor immediately starts to try to be there for Chelsea and comfort her. And gosh, as I'm watching Victor this week, trying to weasel his way in on Chelsea's family, really, I keep thinking about Ian Ward. It's like Ian Ward has this way where he will present information like it's totally harmless and lull you into doing what he wants. And Victor's not that different. I mean, Victor has eyes on his grandkid. And Maybe he sees Connor as a, as a chance to make up for the childhood that he missed with Adam. We know that's what was on his mind as he stood at the wreckage site. But Victor's sense of family loyalty and what love means is so twisted. And I just keep thinking as Victor's trying to convince her to lean on him or he's there trying to offer support, I just keep thinking that Chelsea needs to hop on a plane and just fly to Paris exactly as planned. There's no reason this woman can't take care of herself. She doesn't need Victor. It's only going to cause her more problems. Well, I thought, um, and I was, I was very happy, not happy that YNR killed Adam, but very happy that a couple days later or hours later or whatever the timeline was, Sharon goes to see Chelsea. Sharon has learned the news that Adam is dead too. Adam was one of the loves of her life. And she actually went to go see Chelsea. I mean, they're kind of the mourners. Sharon even said, you know, we're the only ones that are really going to mourn who he was. You know, Victor mourns the son that he never had or the person that Adam didn't turn out to be for him. But Chelsea and Sharon knew Adam intimately. They're the widows and they're the ones that are going to mourn him. And as soon as Sharon starts to bring this up, Chelsea says, oh, but we're not going to have a service for him or anything. He's not dead. 
Chelsea is convinced that Adam is not dead. I mean, the police have not found a body. Paul has a team of divers going to the bottom of the lake to try to recover (coughs) any kind of wreckage from the scene, and he hasn't done that. So Chelsea has had a dream where she saw Adam, and it felt so real. And on top of this, there really is no confirmation that he's dead. Therefore, he's not dead in her mind, and she's right, of course. But I I really just really enjoyed seeing Chelsea and Sharon there together because Chelsea confides this in in Sharon and Sharon is of course the perfect person to talk to about this. Sharon is constantly seeing ghosts, constantly seeing things that aren't there and Sharon tries to give, you know, a little bit of comfort to Chelsea about that and says, you know, Adam is dead and, you know, I know what it's like to see a ghost and, you know, you gotta try to focus on what we know, what reality is. But Chelsea's right, of course. (laughs) Adam is not dead. He probably did come to her as a a vision (laughs) to say goodbye to her, I don't know. But um, there's a moment where Connor's crying upstairs, And there's a knock on the door at the same time. And Chelsea sends Sharon upstairs, or I'm sorry, Sharon offers to go upstairs and check on Connor while Chelsea goes to answer the door. And it's Victor. (laughs) And Victor, I'm so mad about this. He comes to Chelsea and basically is offering to move her and Connor into the ranch it's so presumptuous. Uh, I couldn't, I mean, I don't know why I'm surprised, but Sharon comes down the stairs and hears that this is what Victor is offering. And she rightly gives Chelsea the best advice that she possibly could. You don't want to do this. Don't even entertain the thought of moving to the ranch. This is exactly what Adam didn't want for you. This is exactly what he was fighting against till his very last moment. And Chelsea is uh, totally torn. I think that this she's so shocked by what the reality of the situation is now. You know, when she thought she knew what was going on, she was wrong. And now she doesn't, you know, she's, her sense of what's right and wrong, I think, is completely thrown out of whack. So she's here right in the middle of Victor saying, come move in with me, and Sharon saying, no way, when Jack walks in the door. And Jack, oh, Jack is feeling betrayed on all levels. Betrayed by Adam, betrayed by Victor. But Jack is taking the vow that he made to Connor very seriously. When Jack agreed to be Connor's godfather, it was a vow that he took to Connor, not necessarily to Adam or to Chelsea. Jack vowed to be there and to act in the best interest of Connor. So Jack is there trying to, uh, you know, to give her the same advice that Sharon was. Sharon ended up leaving, and it's just Jack and Victor and Chelsea in the room together. And I, I don't know why, but Chelsea just seems to be leaning toward Victor. Um, Jack gives her the best advice he can, and then he leaves, and there's another moment where Chelsea and Victor are alone together. They're the last, you know, they're surviving members of the family, uh, the immediate family of Adam, and Chelsea seems to be giving him her ear. Uh, Victor 
offers, oh my gosh, to have a house built on the property for her. And she says, what, so you can make him a Newman? And he says, he's already a Newman. I hope she does not fall into this trap. I mean, I have not been the world's biggest fan of Chelsea, but I don't want to see her be a kept woman. Ugh, there's something so mobbish about that. Like a kept woman just for, so Victor can have his grandchild. There's something so completely not right about that. Does she really want to have the same fate as Sharon? She's going to end up exactly like Sharon. Now, at the very end of Friday's show, <laughs> just as Chelsea's considering this, we as the audience see a shot of a bloody hand in the snow. And at this point, Billy's already safe and sound. He's been discovered. So we know that's Adam's bloody hand moving a finger. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how long he would have had to been outside in the snow, but I think as viewers, that is our probably final nod uh, that Adam is alive. Well, let's back up a little bit. Now, before Billy got discovered, Victoria is at home wondering where her husband is. Chloe shows up. She now knows Adam is the hit-and-run driver, but that's about all she knows at this point in the story. And Victoria shares with Chloe that she's concerned Billy may have gotten his gun and may have decided to take the matter into his own hands. And Boy, I don't know, I was a little surprised, but Chloe was in completely the same headspace as Billy. She wants revenge just as much as Billy did. And, oh my gosh, I thought, well, it's going to be hard for her to comfort Chelsea when she's glad her husband is dead. I mean, Chelsea, Chloe has bloodlust. She wants Adam dead, and she wants and hopes that Billy kills him. And she's saying all this to Victoria, and I'm... Victoria and me were like, uh, you want Billy to throw his life away and lose his family to kill Adam? I mean, I understand that Chloe wants to make sure Adam doesn't get off on a technicality because of his money and his status and, you know, the fact that he's a Newman, but letting Billy go down to would be doubly bad. It, it wouldn't resolve anything. I mean, an, an eye for an eye is going to make everybody blind, obviously. So Nick has to come to Victoria's house and tell her about the explosion. And again, one man survived, they know. One man didn't, the presumption is. From the random guy while wandering around in the woods said one guy got away. Nick, with his own eyes, saw one man in the car. Um, and the police bring a watch <coughs> from the crime scene back to the uh, police station. And Paul believes it belongs to the man in the SUV, Jack is there at the police station at the same time. He recognizes it. Now, all of a sudden, there's two knocks at the door. One is Jack going to Chelsea, and the other is New Billy. <laughs> New Billy, bloody, frostbitten, falling on the door, but alive. 
the music swells up just as we hear Peter Bergman do the voiceover. The role of Billy is now being played by David Tom. And I just got chills. <laughs> I did. I just, I all week I think, you know, could there be a more perfect recast? David Tom even looks like him. I mean, and let's not forget, Billy Miller was David Tom's recast. He was his recast. So uh, they knew what they were doing when they recast uh, for, you know, to Billy Miller. So, I mean, they look alike. There were so many times during the week where I just thought, he, you know, they even sound alike. They even have cadence, uh, you know, the same cadence. I'm telling you guys, I, I'm I'm dying to know how you're feeling about the David Tom uh, so far. I mean, what what a hard thing it would be. I, I mean, Billy Miller popularized that role, I'm sure. Uh, well, I don't know. That's hard to say because Billy and Mac, you know, they were Billy. When David Tom was on the show originally, it, he was not some nobody. I mean, he was involved in one of, you know, a very, very big and very popular uh, couple on the show. I mean, it, he was very big and very good in, in his role. But I guess, you know, Billy Miller had popularized it modernly. So it it was it was I'm sure very difficult to recast that role and I really want to know how you guys feel about the recast so far. How do, are you happy uh, with David Tom's performance? What are you thinking? Where are you at? Please be sure to contact me. Let me know. I think that's a really good question for this week. Um for me, it's totally seamless. I just feel like not a day has even passed. I totally accept him as Billy. And again, it's I'm sure because I I I remember the actor. If you know, if you don't remember the actor, I can understand how that would be you know difficult to accept. But I really think it's gonna be okay, you guys. <laughs> oh my gosh, it'll be okay. <laughs> Uh, so, anyway, um, yes, the watch indicated uh, to to Jack that that Adam was the one that died. He went off to Chelsea, but now Paul shows up, um, you know, realizing that you know Billy was supposedly the man who walked away, the one man who walked away, and. Um, Paul has a lot of questions for Billy. I mean, Billy's all bloody and Victoria's so happy to see him, but he's laying on the couch and um, Paul comes by. He, you know, he wants answers. And Billy begins to recount the entire story to he and Victoria. And he's being very honest about everything, including the gun. And I thought, well, he needs a lawyer. He really needs a lawyer for this confession. I mean, you know, Paul will press charges. Paul will press charges against Billy in a heartbeat. Um, I think Paul would press charges against his own mother at this point. <laughs> um, but in, uh, in Billy's recount, he seemed to think that Adam wasn't in the car. That was the thing that struck me. It seemed like Billy thought that that Adam was not in the car. And um, Billy, or I'm sorry, Paul has to tell Billy that Adam is dead. He didn't survive. And and I don't know, Adam, or I'm sorry, gosh, Billy just is not seeming to um, understand. He's not really able to put the pieces together. They end up taking him to the hospital. And by the way, Jill came to visit. I thought it was wonderful. It was so good to see them together again. They even did a flashback um, showing, uh, you know, the original David Tom. I mean, showing viewers that don't know he's not just somebody they pulled in off the street. This 
this is David Tom has history with this show and I love that they showed that flashback of him and Jill and you know kind of reigniting that fact that Jill feels guilty for not being there for him and you know here it is again Jill really wasn't present for all of this going down now she had her reasons of course being Colin but (laughs) we'll talk about that later I loved seeing the first interaction between the new Billy and Jill loved seeing um, Jill, Jack come to the hospital to see him. It just, I, I'm really enjoying it as if it were a, a, a long awaited reunion. Now, the whole time Billy is in the hospital, Victoria is by his side and she wants to know what happened, what happened to Adam. And the whole time you can tell Billy knows that the gun went off. He is having flashbacks. He knows there's more to the story than what he's saying. I mean, a cop came by to ask him to ID the gun. Um, Apparently they were able to recover the gun from the car that has been crashed, exploded and gone to the bottom of the lake, but they weren't able to recover any body. They're still assuming Adam's dead, even though they have no body. Like, apparently, a body couldn't survive that blast, but a gun could. (laughs) Well, the cop brings by this gun. They ask Billy to ID it from his hospital bed, and he says, uh, the gun's been discharged. Reveals that little piece of information. So, no body and a discharged gun makes it look like Billy killed Adam and then, you know, stashed the body or did something to the body or that Adam was dead before the car crashed or that Billy shot him before the car went off the road. So there's way, way more to the story that Billy is not being forthright about. Um, And I just, I wonder if Billy knows in his heart that Adam's not, you know, really dead. I think that's true. I think Billy knows. I just don't know who did who did uh, Nick see in the car then. I'm a little confused. Maybe it's the fever, but who did Nick see in the car if it wasn't Adam? I'm not sure. But the entire time they're at the hospital, Stitch <coughs> is right there by Victoria's side. He is her new best friend. Um, he's being there for her. Kelly stops by too, and... She's being all suspicious. Um, Stitch thinks she's being suspicious. I think she's being suspicious. I think she's guilty of killing Delia. <laughs> I think she is the the murderer we are waiting to actually find out about. But um, Kelly and Stitch have another confrontation. I'm still struggling to understand exactly what it was that happened between them. I'm assuming it was just an affair. Um, that ended up getting him and his marriage broken up. But uh, he, Stitch confronts her about sleeping with Billy. He just, like, figures it out. He seems to know her game, and she ends up confessing to it. She tells him, you know, yes, I did it. And I just wonder if the reason he knows her game is because it's similar to what she did to him. And <laughs> now, you know, if he if he has uh, lost a marriage due to Kelly getting up in it, however, you know, however that would have come all about. Obviously, it takes two, but um, I'm wondering if Stitch is going to be compelled to tell his new best friend Victoria about his suspicion. And Stitch and uh, Kelly are in the middle of having uh, one of their fights when he's, you know, just basically telling her, stay away from Billy. You know, you don't need to ruin the marriage, um, you know, sleeping with the guy. And Nikki overhears them arguing. I mean, she they don't name names or anything. Nikki sure doesn't know that they're talking about her son-in-law.
Chloe had the same feeling that Billy did when she found out about Adam. I mean, now that we know the truth, and especially now that Adam is dead, why don't I feel any better? It's just rage on top of rage. And meanwhile, uh, Lily and Devon, are, and I mean, Kelly and Victoria, they're all going around trying to work on this Delia project, but (laughs) Chloe is not about to have it. There's a scene at the Chancellor Mansion where Lily and Kane come by and they want to talk about the Delia project, and Chloe's like, oh, no, no, no. We're going to cancel that. I mean, uh, we're not going to keep going with the Delia project when Adam funded it, when her her killer funded it, and Chloe sees it as blood money. It was, you know, that foundation was started because Adam wanted, you know, in her opinion, to try to buy his way out of the situation or, you know, to try to, you know, buy away his guilt. And I mean, I can understand that. I can understand why Chloe wouldn't want to pursue that. And Luckily, uh, for her and for the project and for, you know, for the good, Devon steps in, <laughs> Mr. Big Bucks, <laughs> and he he makes it new. He says, you know what? Forget it. Let's start a new foundation. We'll give it a new name and I will fund it. He was going to put up a million dollars for Delia's, you know, the capture of her information about her killer anyway in the first place and that never panned out so why not let him uh, put up the money for this I mean Devon you know Devon I'm sorry this is a tangent but he just he is so boring to me I, I mean there's so much opportunity for him to be so much better but he is just such a snooze fest for me I, I mean does he have any personality we, you know what we need we need for Devon to do something wrong <laughs> if Devon would do something wrong maybe I could find a way to connect in with him somehow, but he's so bland to me right now, and I want to like him. I don't get it. I mean, he's a billionaire. He could be doing more than buying the athletic club. Ugh, who cares? (laughs) Oh, no. Whatever. I think that um, Devon stepping in and funding the Delia Project Foundation is not only a good idea on Delia's behalf, but I think it's a good use of Catherine's fortune. I do think that Catherine would want that. Well, big twist of the week, (laughs) out of nowhere, Jill shows up at the Chancellor Mansion with Colin on her arm. I mean, everybody is slack-jawed. Kane is slack-jawed. I'm totally confused. I'm like, what the? How did we get here? Was it Wednesday's show? The beginning of Wednesday's show? Was anybody else completely? Like, I thought I missed an episode. <laughs> they wa- <laughs> It was bizarre. Jill and Colin stroll right into the Chancellor Mansion in front of Kane, Lily. Um, gosh, I can't remember who else was there. Esther, and she introduces Colin as her husband. (laughs) What? (laughs) I was just absolutely shocked at this. Jill goes on to tell the story of their happy reunion, and then it starts to become clear. It's spliced in with the reality of her kidnapping. She loathes him. He loves her. (laughs) I think he wants her, and he wants to be married. And so... All of a sudden, he's saying, you know, he, he's got her kidnapped, hat, handcuffed to the bed, and is saying, you know, we're going to get married now. <laughs> um, and she's like, are you nuts? I don't understand it. He makes her sign a prenup where he gets 
50% of everything. And she's, of course, resistant. But then he says, well, do you, want, do you ever want to see Kane again? Do you ever want to go back to your life again? Sign. So she does. And there they, that's it. They're back in Genoa City married with a prenup. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, it's weird. I, I, I never loved Colin, never. But I do love that he's a storyline for Jill. I do love seeing uh, Jill on the screen. And I had gotten a message from um, Gary this week and, you know, just kind of going on about, uh, you know, Colin really not fitting into Genoa City. And I could see that. I I think maybe because he's been um, such a big character on General Hospital, it might be hard to see him as another role. Um, you know, I think he's got an okay personality. I, I, I really did not like him at all the first time around. He was just a pure bad guy. And it does seem like they're bringing him back now to be a little more reformed. I mean, sort of your uh, more lighthearted bad guy. Uh, so, I mean, he's got a lot of jokes and he's got a lot of, um, I don't know, sass <laughs> about him. Um, I'm just going to hold off judgment because I don't know what to think. Um, you know, again, I just, I like that it's bringing Jill back into the fold. I do like seeing her more. Uh, it's She's not rolling in money the way she once was. So it's, you know, I keep thinking, why does he even care about her getting her 50% of her assets? Well, she does have a peculiar, a peculiar little music box <laughs> that is uh, somewhat of a mystery. <laughs> uh, they showed a scene of him holding the music box in his hands. Uh, Kane is not happy that his father is back in town. In fact, the second they get a, a moment alone together, Kane punches him in the stomach. And who could blame him? The man tried to kidnap the twins and take them off to Australia. Yeah, I would say Kane has a reason to be upset. He should continue to be upset and continue to fight this. Um, Kane thinks that he's after Devon's fortune, but it, it, it's all about that music box. Jill is trying to fight back through the legal uh, venue. She calls Leslie and wants to have Colin deported, wants to find a way to annul the marriage, have him divorced, you know, deported. But Leslie reveals that Colin is actually legally out of jail, legally in this country. So there's really nothing she can do. Um, Jill thinks her very last option would be to have have the marriage annulled since she hasn't consummated it. Um, <laughs> that as soon as she gets home, Colin you know, tells him she wants to have this annulment. Uh, Colin starts to lead her to believe that he has the answer she's looking for about that box. Um, <laughs> saying, you know, Ka Catherine told me what the story was about this box. Now, do you want to sit in perpetuity and wonder what it was that Catherine's last wish was for you? Or do you want me to help you? You know, so he's kind of blackmailing her into it for information. And she caves, of course. <laughs> no more annulment on the table after that. He says, well, you know, I'll tell you everything, but first let's have dinner. And then next time it's going to be, well, I'll tell you everything, but first let's have sex. <laughs> <laughs> he's totally using it as, um, uh, he's totally using the music, I don't know, I don't think he knows a thing about the music box. Uh, he might be just using it completely as a, a way to get whatever it is he wants, and it seems like he just wants sex with her as the cherry on top.
The showdown between Michael and Carmine. The big cliffhanger last week was Michael showing up at Carmine's door, knocking on it, revealing that Carmine is indeed still alive. Michael lets himself into the apartment. Gosh, this seems like so long ago, doesn't it? Maybe just because so much else has happened. But Michael strolls into the apartment and lays it all on the line. Here's how I figured out that you were still alive. And the last puzzle piece was the fingerprints on the bath salts that we never saw. I mean, Leonard just feels like they just threw together this wrap-up. I mean, did they, I don't know, it wasn't laid out very well. I'm not feeling it. This should have happened months ago. They should have revealed that Carmine was alive months ago, back when I cared. <laughs> but um, uh, Carmine uh, does uh, reveal that um, he has immunity from being charged with any crimes that he's committed against the Baldwin family in exchange for his testimony against Womack. And now here's where it starts to get interesting. Michael says, you know, you got to help Finn. I want you to help Finn. He's getting ready to go down for your murder, and I need you to help get him out of jail, or I'm going to kill you. It will be easy. In fact, you're already dead. No one's going to notice or question it at all. But Carmine's like, you know, you need me. I don't need you. Ah, but Michael has one more card (laughs) up his sleeve. The king of hearts, if you will. He says, you know, I'll tell Womack that you're the snitch. That you're the one that got him thrown in jail. And he's almost free. He's going to be out soon anyway. And, you know, Carmine, I don't know what would stop him from, you know, doing that anyway. I don't understand why the FBI would let Fenn be sentenced to a man's murder who's in custody. Wouldn't the FBI have quietly stepped in and swept this whole thing under the carpet? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) I was just happy that Michael busted into the hearing as expected. He's got a video of Carmine with a newspaper showing that he's alive on today's date, and all charges are magically dropped. I'm... I mean, is that it then? I mean, did Weiner just bring that back for one episode just to wrap up this stuff? Are we ever going to see Carmine again? Is that it? Or is there more to come? Noah sees Courtney off in a dark corner of our Chancellor Park, besmirching Catherine's name by having drugs dealt in her park. Or is that part of Chancellor Park? I don't know. <laughs> but Noah looks off, sees Courtney in a, in, a, in a corner. It looks like she's doing some more drug dealing. And then he confronts her, and she's actually with this handcuffed guy, and she reveals she's arresting him. Courtney's a cop. <laughs> This is her big revelation. I'm a cop. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I didn't see that coming. I don't know why, but uh, (laughs) all of a sudden she's a cop. And there's like a difference even in the way she walks. Did you guys notice like now that she's revealed it, she's strutting around. She's got a difference in the way she walks. She reveals she works with Alex from point one. I guess she was pretending to be a high school student. She went to the police academy before even coming into town and they put her on this drug beat because she looks really young and they thought she could pull it off are you guys buying it 
<laughs> Maybe it's because I'm sick. I'm not feeling it that much. I I don't know. I, I, I mean, at least it's over. At least the equipment's out there. All right, fine. She's a cop. <laughs> I'll deal with it. Um, the problem is Noah still loves her, but he knows that he loves the person that she put forth. I mean, she still loves him, but she knows exactly who he is. He was honest about who he is. I mean, she's not really even the age that she said she is. I mean, she's actually Noah's age. So um, she still loves him, but Noah doesn't know who she really is at all. It's weird seeing Summer talk about Adam, isn't it? Knowing what happened with Michael Mooney and Hunter King and the allegation anyway. Well, you know, yes, of course, the allegation. It's just weird hearing Summer go on about, you know, Adam and what he did. And uh, it's just not sitting good with me, that one. Um, Summer goes to Sharon. And I kind of talks a little bit again about Adam. I want to see more of Sharon's grief process over Adam's death. Again, Adam was one of the loves of her life. So I, I want to see more of that. I hope YNR continues on that. Um, Summer goes to Sharon and also tells her, you know, she doesn't feel like she's right for modeling. She quits, you know, she quits her job essentially, but thanks Sharon profusely for being there for her and wants to try to continue to have their relationship. Summer started to look up to Sharon as if she were a mother figure and, um, after Summer leaves, there's this, again, weird scene where Sharon sees Cassie in the living room, and it's a little different this time. I don't know. She reaches out, touches Cassie, and is able to feel her. I don't know if that means maybe Cassie could be alive, or if Sharon's delusions are getting worse. I mean, she is on her meds. I don't know. But uh, it's obvious that Cassie wants Sharon, to tell the truth, um, uh, it's just still an awkwardness hanging above her relationship with Summer, her relationship with Nick. The truth needs to come out. Summer needs to know who her father is. She's reaching out, trying to find something that makes sense, and it's ending up leading her right to Ian Ward. She runs into him again at the club, and he is Mr. Charming. I mean, this lie that Sharon is told is leading Summer right into danger. Nick goes to check on Nikki, and she is very distressed, um, and of course he thinks it's about Adam and everything that's happened uh, with his death. Uh, she has a fainting spell and has to confide that Ian Ward, Dylan's father, is in town and that he's been to see her, which makes Nick ready to punch things. <laughs> Um, he blames Dylan for opening this can of worms. Of course, he goes to see Dylan and Avery, um, who are in her apartment together. Avery is really kicking herself over not being able to do something about Adam. She had the confession tape. She feels like she should have just watched it, and uh, maybe she could have helped prevent what happened. Um, you know, her and Adam were friends, and so she's, you know, got her own grief process to go through. But Nick shows up at the door. 
And boy, I thought he was just going to lay into Dylan. I, you know, I think Dylan expected to maybe get a punch, but this time Nick seems to actually want to help. He reaches out a hand and tries to call a truce with Dylan and says he wants to work together to try to find Ian. So this is kind of interesting. I thought that the big showdown was going to be Ian versus Victor, but maybe it'll be Ian versus Nick and Dylan together. Abby is so tired of Mariah butting up in her life that she calls Mariah and asks for a meeting. Says, you know, let's have it out and, you know, come here unless you're chicken. <laughs> Meet me at the coffee house. Let's, you know, don't just be a shadowy figure. Confront me if you want to. And um, Abby and Tyler are there. Tyler doesn't know anything about this, so it seems. Um, they're waiting for Mariah, waiting for her, waiting for her, and she doesn't show up. And Abby's, I think, upset about this because she really wanted to have the conference after she leaves there's a moment where Tyler I don't I don't know I don't think he knew it was all going down but he sneaks off and calls Mariah and thanks her for not showing up like I don't he just didn't want to have the confrontation but I just keep thinking why is Tyler not taking this more seriously if his ex is actually kind of torturing Abby and lock, you know, has it out for her enough to lock her in a, a building overnight? And then I think he should be taking a more active role if and plus not only that. If it's making Abby uncomfortable, and if Abby is the woman of Tyler's dreams, the woman that he loves, then he should be taking the situation by the horns and telling Mariah to buzz off forcefully. Oh, Leslie forgets about a meeting with the wedding planner and is leaving Neil to sit there with the wedding planner alone, picking out themes and swatches, which is not Neil's forte. Ugh, it's weird. Neil has had plenty of good women dying to get him down the aisle. Why does he want to marry someone he has to drag down the aisle? Finally... They, you know, talk after she's missed this wedding and they finally, finally have a moment together where they're actually communicating. And Leslie, you know, at first just says, I, you know, this isn't me. Marriage isn't me. You know, I, I wasn't the little girl who was dreaming of her wedding day. I didn't have this all planned out in my mind. In my mind, marriage was not a, a positive thing. Look what happened with my parents. And I identified with her when she was saying that. I I thought that was a um, very honest moment. Neil calls her out and, you know, says, I think it's that you just don't want to marry me. And she finally gets to reveal what it is that's really bothering her. She says, why do I need a marriage? You know, what what is that going to do for me? You know, I, I have a will. Um, you know, I feel committed to you. And again, I, get, I do get where she's coming from. Um I, I, at the same time, I also liked Neil's point that, you know, let's not say that it's just a paper piece of paper and it doesn't mean anything. There are people who have to fight so hard for the right to be married. And here you're just, you know, don't make it sound like it's nothing. So um, I just I enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed the argument. I enjoyed them finally having it out. I think what we have here 
is two people who love each other, but just have not communicated about what that means. I, I really, I almost cried as Leslie pled her case. You know, she loves Neil, she wants to be with him, but she just is not comfortable with the idea of marriage. And, uh, you know, I, I think there are, there, and I know there are a lot of couples who are in committed, loving, long-term relationships without marriage. The question is, is that going to be acceptable to Neil? Okay, you guys, that is all. (laughs) I am sitting here with a box of Kleenex and a very large wastebasket full of used Kleenex. (laughs) I am so tired. I'm going to go to bed now. (laughs) I hope I've done this week's stories justice. I probably haven't. I know it was a big week and I really, really wanted to talk about it, but I don't know how good I did. (laughs) Um, Why don't you guys feedback? Let me know how you think about this week's show. Um, That'll cheer me up as I get over my illness. (laughs) I would love to hear from you, so don't be shy. I do hope that I'm able to be back next week, and I'm sure I will be with full health. (laughs) All right, you guys, I love you. I'll see you next Sunday. Bye.